as they are coming down, children, stay seated, stay seated. We are just going to take a moment and pause in the midst of this service and just say to all of the women, thank you, thank you, thank you. God loves you. He cares for you. He wants to see you nurtured and built up and strengthened in his grace today. We are thankful that you are here. God loves you and he is with you. Let's, uh, let's pray together for our ladies. Heavenly Father, we, we thank and praise you for women. We thank you that women are fully created in your image to reflect your care, your nurture, your love, your generosity, your strength, your resolve, and your comfort. Heavenly Father, we, we ask and pray here on this Mother's Day that you would strengthen and equip the women of Sierra Bible Church, to love and serve you in the many ways that you have called them to serve and to love you. We, we thank you, we praise you for the countless hours of sacrifice and service that they provide to not only members of our body and people in the family, but every people in the community. We thank you, we praise you, we love you, we worship you, we adore you, and we are so thankful for the ladies in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, children, you may be dismissed. Please walk to your Sunday school class. If you brought your Bible, please open with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We are going to be starting in verse 11 and working through verse 14 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. M motherhood is one of the most important roles and jobs any person could take. Mothers are the first people to care for us. Mothers are the very first ones to sacrifice their own bodies for the welfare of their children. They love, they nurture, they care for their kids to raise them to become fully functional and capable adults. In this way, motherhood is very close to the heart of God. Now, once God saves us by his grace, he calls us, he calls us to mature, and he matures us in much of the same way a father and a mother mature a child. Uh, if, uh, as I mentioned, if you brought your Bible, please uh, open to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, and we are going to talk this morning about walking in maturity, about pressing into maturity. Uh, if you brought your smartphone and you would like to follow along with the sermon notes, make sure you download the app and go into the section on sermon notes. You can uh, grab the, the app either in your app store by searching Sierra Bible NV or texting uh, Sierra Bible NV space app to 77977 and you will be able to grab it there. Also, if anything that I say or anything in the scriptures causes a question about anything really, uh, you can text it into or as, uh, I, uh, you can email it into iron at sierrabible.org and our weekly sermon Q&A podcast will answer your questions and we will uh, display it all for the entire world to hear your wonderful, insightful, glorious questions that you have about God's word. Uh, but today we are going to see that because we have each been given grace by God, if we are believers in Christ, because we have all been given grace, 
We should walk in maturity. Uh, The way that the Apostle Paul tries to teach this pressing into maturity theme in these passages is through the lens and the view of spiritual gifts. He gives four truths about spiritual gifts. Uh, First, he says that, that Christ gave gifts to the church and that these gifts have a purpose and that these gifts also have a duration and these gifts are have a specific result in verses 11 through 14. So if you brought your Bible and you are open to Ephesians chapter 4, even if you didn't bring your Bible but you have one in front of you, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. And he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You may be seated. Uh, We have been on this journey as a church, walking through the epistle to the church in Ephesus, uh, walking through the first four chapters. In the first three chapters, we saw what the grace of God in the gospel is, how it changes us, it conforms us into the image of Christ, it gives us a new identity, no longer by judgment, but by grace. Then it transitions in chapter three, in, cha- in the beginning of chapter four, into now that you have this new identity, now that you have been saved by Christ, walk in Him. Walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel that has transformed your life. So in the beginning, the, the first message was just walk worthy. Last week's message was walk equipped in the ways that God has gifted you individually to walk with him. And this week, we are going to encourage every person here to walk in maturity, to press on into maturity. The sad reality is that once we become Christians, many of us just stay spiritual infants. We just stay like the children that are nice and cute up here. It's really, really cute to dedicate children to the Lord because they're innocent and they're naive and they need instruction and training. But it's awfully sad reality. If people have been walking with Christ for years, perhaps even decades, and are still acting as a spiritual infant... So we are praying by God's grace here through this message and through other means that God would allow us to press into maturity so that we don't become like Peter Pan, a full-grown man that still acts like a boy. May it never be for the believers of Sierra Bible Church. God, like a caring and sacrificial parent, nurtures us toward maturity. The the first way that we see in this passage that God matures us is through giving us gifts. 
If you are a believer in Christ, you have been given a spiritual gift and you are expected to use it. That was last week's message. But now starting in verse 11, he pivots the discussion of spiritual gifts towards how they are used so that believers might mature. He begins the discussion by saying that there are set-apart individual ministers that use their gifts in order to mature the body of Christ. He mentions the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. Now, there are certainly more gifts than these in the New Testament, but these are highlighted in this passage in particular because they provide the church with the teaching of Christ so that the body might be edified, so that it might grow, and so that it might be warned not to fall into and believe false teaching. New Testament scholar P.T. O'Brien says specifically of these gifts that are listed here, saying this, those listed are ministers of the word through whom the gospel is revealed, declared, and taught. There are five lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament which list over 20 gifts. No list is exhaustive. Each is given with a specific intention. In this passage, Paul is focusing on the gifts that are associated with the ministry of the Word, the proclamation and teaching of what God has revealed in the Gospel. He first mentions the apostles and prophets. He's already mentioned the apostles and prophets in chapter 2, verse 20, as the ministers in the first century who laid the foundation for the church, who began the New Testament era by laying the foundation of the church. They were the authoritative recipients and the proclaimers of the mysteries of Christ. The, the evangelists then were in, are engaged in preaching of the gospel both to the church to build up the body in grace and to those outside of the faith to bring them to Christ. The pastors and teachers were, are given to nurture and care for the church, exercise leadership over congregations and for congregations, and it's most likely that these terms, the pastors and shepherds, are nuanced ways of saying somebody who carries the same role. All four of these roles are minister, individual ministers who are set apart specifically for the ministry of the Word. When I was growing up, I loved the Navy SEALs. Absolutely loved the Navy SEALs. Couldn't learn enough about them. I saw movies about them. It's like, those dudes are so legit. They are so fit. They are so cool. They, they know exactly what it's needed to do. The, the Navy SEALs are set apart for a specific military role toward the country. I might have even tried to be one, but I probably couldn't make it. I love their discipline, their training, their preparation, and their competence to do a distinct work that only they were called to do. These gifted ministers of the word are the officers of the church. They're ones who are not only equipped to minister the word, but also set apart to do the ministry that God has uniquely called them to do. Every church that desires to be built up and to grow needs to have set apart ministers of the word. The gospel is good news. Good news is a word. 
We, the Christian faith, is a word-based faith. We are called to be taught and instructed and built up in what God has revealed to us in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we live in a day and an age where pastors are entertainers, they're visionary, they're vision casters, they're entrepreneurs, they're authors, they're speakers, they're political pundits, and they're, and they're celebrities. But before anything else, the pastor's primary call is to be a set-apart minister of this book. If this church grows to 5,000 people, where we are nationally recognized, but we fail to have pastors and shepherds who minister the word according to the gospel of grace, we as a church are most to be pitied. Now, I know what probably some of you are thinking. Well, if the ministers of the word simply proclaim the gospel... Is the entire point of the church simply to hear a sermon and then go home? Does the growth and the strength of the entire church depend upon the eloquence of these set-apart ministers? No, check out verse 12. It gives the purpose for these vocational ministers. What are they supposed to do? The purpose of these gifts in particular are to equip the saints. If a church has an eloquent speaker that can draw thousands of people to hear his talk, and the people who attend the church, they aren't being equipped to accomplish the specific tasks that's outlined for them in the scriptures, the pastor has failed. The first line of every, uh, on every pastoral job description is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's the pastor's job to equip the people to do the work of the ministry. The people, the saints, are the ones who are to do the work of the ministry. Every single believer who is called to Christ has a spiritual gift, and they are called to exercise that spiritual gift in service to the body, equipped by the pastors and leaders, so that the body might grow. There is no such thing as a church that is a one-man show or a one-woman show. God sets apart ministers of the gospel so that they might train the people in the church to do the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ according to what God has outlined for us in Scripture. When you go to the gym... And you decide, all right, it's my time to get healthy. I want to love and serve my family better. I'm a little bit out of shape. And you go to a personal trainer and you say, I need some help. The personal trainer is not there to do the work for you. The personal trainer is there to equip you to do the proper exercise so that you might grow and be built up so that you can serve and do the work. In our day, we have more access to biblical and theological resources than any time in the history of the world. Yet we are so far from being equipped to face the challenges of our day. Now, there are many reasons for this, but if I were to isolate 
just one or two, it's because we are equipped and we are discipled more by social media and cable news than we are for, by the pastors who love and serve and desire to care for us and build us up. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, Carl, that's a millennial problem. Those kids just don't know what's good for them. Back up off me, bro. According to CheatSheet.com, in January of this year, the median age for cable news consumption is 65 years old. Now, I don't have anything against cable news in small doses, but when it's the primary source that is shaping your worldview, I have a lot against it. Social media is no friend either. I'm on social media, I, I use it quite often. But it is so easy in this culture for a millennial to have their worldview, their entire worldview shaped by memes that are sent and texted on social media rather than being equipped by the people who love and desire to serve them. Now, I'm working as hard as I possibly can to set the culture of this church to be an equipping church. We started this app not because it's a novelty or something cool that people will get engaged with. It's not a toy. It's not a gadget that we use to entice people. It's a digital platform we are, where we are trying our best to equip people with the Word of God, engage with the culture in a way that they can hear and understand so that they might be equipped to take what is in this book and has been revealed and walk it out in their daily life. It's my goal as a pastor here of Sierra Bible Church not to create the biggest, largest, coolest, flashiest church in the city of Reno. But it is very explicitly my job to equip you and equip this church to be the strongest, healthiest, most God-honoring church in the entire world. And I will settle for nothing less. And I hope you won't either. I want this for us because I believe that this is what God wants for us. The building of the body through the work of the saints happens until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We will not need to build the body of Christ forever. When Christ returns, his body will be fully built, fully strong, fully capable, but until that time, we are called to press on toward maturity in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. On that day, the body will be fully prepared for our heavenly home, but until then, we need to continue to unite underneath the authority of God and the knowledge of the Son of God and in the unity of the faith. According to uh, extre extreme engineering... The uh, Boeing 747, the Boeing 747 can fly over 400 passengers at 565 miles per hour at a distance that is able to stretch from Melbourne, Australia to Los Angeles, California in one flight. It can do that because, not only because of the brilliant engineering and the preparation that has been made, but because the Boeing 747 has six 
million different individual parts that are all assembled into one aircraft vessel that delivers 400 people thousands of miles across the planet. Make the spiritual translation. Believers are called individually to play their small part in building this massive structure, this global structure of the body of Christ. And until we all reach the unity of the faith, when we're not just going to take passengers across an ocean, but we are going to deliver to Christ what he has purchased on the cross, namely redeemed men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, nation, and language, and deliver them into a heavenly home to live with him forever. We're not here playing games. We are here to be equipped to do our individual part that is going to be carrying millions and millions of people into their heavenly home. So how will we know that we're building up the body and that we're pressing on toward maturity? What does it look like for believers to unite in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God? Well, that's a great question. Paul answers it for us in verse 14. You will know you are maturing in the faith by the results that you are seeing in your understanding and your application of the gospel to your life. Look at what verse 14 says. The results are that so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We will know that we are maturing in Christ when we are no longer tossed to and fro by the waves that everything, every worldly philosophy that comes our way. Oh, that sounds nice. I'm going to go believe this for a while. Oh, I'm going to pattern my life around this. And we're tossed back and forth believing everything that was thrown at us. Maturity comes when we know what we believe and we're able not just to be in the waters and among the waves, of the, the crashing waves, but we're able to stand and not be taken over by them. We're not being led astray by false teaching. The metaphor that Paul uses is this passage of a child in an ocean. When we're immature, when we're an immature child, we can't handle being in the ocean alone. We will die. It is cruel to throw a, ch a baby child in the middle of an ocean. But when we are mature, false teaching is no longer a danger to us. We can go out into the ocean. It no longer poses a threat to persuade us or to lead us astray from the gospel. We can stand, confirm, affirm, we can swim in the ocean and know that this isn't going to carry us and take us away. This is, uh, this is my uh, college roommate, Drew. Drew lives in Encinitas. He lives in Encinitas, California. And, he and this is literally his backyard. He gets out for his lunch break and he hits the water. Now, we visited him uh, a couple, uh, two summers ago. And uh, he is a mature surfer. I am not. I'm like a child when we get into the waves. When I get out into the ocean, when I get out into the ocean on the surfboard, it's not safe for me to be alone. 
the waves start coming, I think, oh, this is a good one, and it just crashes over me. I think, oh, I got this. I start standing up, and I'm just wobbling. The board goes everywhere. But when Drew is out there, he can handle himself alone. He can see the wave coming from a, uh, from a long ways away. He can say, yep, that's going to be a good one. So I'm going to turn. I'm going to start paddling. And yep, I'm going to ride this one. This one's perfect. Oh, that one, that one's going to crash. That's going to break way too early. I'm not going to take that one. That one, uh, no, nah, you might want to stay away from that one. Why can he do that? He is a mature surfer. He knows where the waves are going to be carrying everyone, and it's not a danger for him to be out there alone. He is mature. He sees the waves coming. He knows which ones are going to be helpful, and he knows which ones are going to not. So let's close this thing down with the marks of maturity. I've given these to you in various forms and in various ways over the course of the last couple of months. Maturity comes when you're growing in these eight distinct ways. Teaching, accountability, worship, prayer, evangelism, service, and service, fellowship, and giving. Which one you know, as they're being mentioned, that you're not mature in? You can't stand on your own to teach other people what God's word says. Sure, maybe you know a lot about the word, but you're not accountable to another person to hold you to the standards that God has called you to hold to, but maybe you're not accountable. Yeah, maybe you're accountable and maybe you're a good teacher, but God really isn't the sole devotion and affection of your life. Maybe you just don't worship him. Maybe your prayer life, you said, you know what, I can't even remember the last time that I came before God and just prayed and communed with him. Maybe it's being able to share your faith. You've never actually gone public with your faith, maybe at work or in other avenues, and said, you know what, you need to know about this God who loves you and has, and has died to save you. Maybe it's service. You don't arrange your life in such a way to where you can actually serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it's fellowship. You, you like coming on Sunday morning on occasion, but you don't have deep and meaningful relationships with other believers. Or perhaps it's giving and stewardship in which your finances are just all out of control and you don't know how to give in a way that is honoring to God. So which one of these areas, if God were to analyze your life and say, he would say to you here this morning, you're not mature here. You're not standing on your own in this area. This is why the pastors and shepherds are here. We want to equip you to be fully mature followers of Christ, standing on your own in all of these areas so that God might be glorified in his church and that the people, you, might be edified in being able to do the work of the ministry here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking and praising you that you desire to equip us, to strengthen us, to show us your grace in the gospel that doesn't just call us to be where we're at right now, but calls us to press on towards maturity. Heavenly Father, I pray for myself as a pastor, God, that you would help me to articulate your word in such a way that produces maturity, that builds people up, that equips them to do the work that you have called them to do. And God, I pray for our church. I pray for us, Sierra Bible Church, 
that we would practice these spiritual disciplines that are outlined in Scripture so that we might mature as a body, that we might not be tossed back and forth by, by every thought and philosophy that has blown, blown our way, but that we would be rooted and mature believers in you, knowing the gospel and knowing how to apply it to our lives. Thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. Thank you for your desire to mature us. And God, I pray that we would press on toward that maturity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.